us eternal life. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be gathered together. Appreciate all the gifts in the body. We were um, we were just talking about you, Brother Marion, in the back office. <laughs> all we have different song leaders. We have different uh, different pianists and musicians, and and uh, know a lot of them aren't here today, out at different places. And we thank God for every gift, and every one brings something different. There's no one cookie cutter. And also thankful for the for the different gifts in the ministry. As I said, we've got. In our church here, there's five ministers that are ministering, and they all were ministering this week. And uh, so we're thankful for every gift and thankful for all the congregation. God bless you all. Uh, I, was, I was noticing a couple of our brothers that go on shift work. They're here this weekend, Brother Marco, Brother Mike. You're here, and uh, God bless you. Good to be gathered together. Amen. We appreciate our brother John, and we're going to look forward to what he's got to minister and Appreciate how the God, God uses each gift differently. Amen. And I was watching, you know, it was really interesting when we had our meetings and we had um, Brother Ray was here, we had his grandson here, we had Brother Ron here. But the gospel transcends every age. It transcends every gift. It's not just an old people's gospel. It's not just a young people's. It, the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost, and it's a warmth, and there's something wonderful about it. And so we, we, we appreciate the Lord, the Spirit of God, and we, we just want to invite Him today. I, I was thinking this morning as we were ministering and speaking of some of the things, it might sound archaic, it might sound old-fashioned, but really there's only one kind of gospel, and that's the old-fashioned gospel. Amen. I feel like I need to sing a couple of verses from that song. It was an old-fashioned meeting in an old-fashioned place. Did, I, I know, Brother John, you would know it, wouldn't you, if you had to? But uh, amen. Let's, let's sing a couple of verses of this, and we'll invite our Brother John. Oh, how well I remember in the old-fashioned days, old-fashioned people. Save me. 
old-fashioned meeting in old-fashioned place where some old-fashioned people had some old-fashioned grace as an old-fashioned sinner I began to pray the Lord Amen. How many wants just an old-fashioned meeting? Amen. I believe we've been having them. and People come, the Spirit of God comes down, lives are changed, and that's what we want. Amen. Sorry, maybe I still get nervous still all the time, but maybe we can just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're the one that makes an old-fashioned meeting, Lord. And like it said, Lord, if, 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 if you never change, then maybe you're an old-fashioned God. And Lord, we want to never get out of fashion with your word, Lord. We want to stay right in line with what your word says, Lord. We want to live it, Lord, the way you've, way you've laid it out, the way it's been preached, Lord, the way you've written it, Lord God. I pray you'd come, Lord, in this little service, this little thought, Lord. May it be a moment where you could come, Lord, that you could make the difference, Lord, where, where I can't do it, Lord. I pray you'd come, Lord. I pray you'd take all of man out of the way. I pray you take the speaker and the hearer, Lord. I pray you take my thoughts. Forgive us where we've gotten it wrong. Help us, Lord. Cleanse us underneath your blood, O oh God. I pray you take the service, Lord, and in the way that you'd want to take it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you to the musicians and the music. How many enjoyed the song service? Amen. Well, maybe we can turn in our Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 51. I want to greet you all in the name of the Lord. And, um, how many, how, let me ask the question this way. How many needed the service this morning? And how many enjoyed the service? That was, God bless you, Brother Ed. I, I appreciate a pastor that will preach it straight. Preach it without fear or favor. And this is what the message says. And, and may we, God help us to live it. God help us to measure up to that line that we've been given. Psalms chapter 51, if, if it's all right, I'll read the whole chapter. I have, a, I have a thought, a little thought tonight that I, I don't know exactly how God would take it and may God help me to deliver it in the right way, but I'll call it God's attitude. God's attitude. Scripture says, and this is when, when Dave, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in unto Bathsheba. This is David's prayer of repentance. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, 
and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. So many times today in our life, sometimes it's not the outward sin so much as a Christian becomes cleansed and sanctified and done, but it's the thought life, and it's the inward parts. It's the motive and intent with which we do things. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, O the prayer begins to turn, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto me. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my li- thou th- my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. God bless you. You can have your seats. And I have, a, I have a little thought that's been running through my mind for the last little bit and maybe come together, maybe even in the last, more recently, but God's attitude. I want us to think a little bit tonight about what God's attitude is towards us. And I'll say off the bat, it's one of peace, one that gives us an expected end, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter where we've gone, there's a predestinated seed in us. There's something that God's deposited in our lives, and God's attitude is in that seed. God's attitude is in us. And and I also want to say it this way, that God's attitude isn't just to the predestinated that they would be saved because they will be saved, but God's attitude looks at the whole earth and looks at every sinner on the earth and desires that they would be saved. And I I hope to prove that, and and, and then I want to take it to another part, but I'll leave that for the moment. Brother, Brother Brandon would say, in the message, in the message law, he would say, this blood cell that God got in there in himself and created, like he did the first blood cell, he created himself a cell. I believe he's talking about the creation of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. It began to spring forth life and brought forth the Son, Christ Jesus. And when a Roman spear, by sin and condemnation, pierced his sacred heart at the cross, broke that blood cell into a spray, tearing down the middle wall of partition and bringing the believer into the body of his own being through the shedding of blood. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Now, the blood could not be perfect by an animal. The blood in Christ was perfect. I'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. Let's get it out of our minds now that we'll ever be able to live a sinless day on this earth. I truly don't believe that 
we'll live a sinless day on this earth in this mortal flesh. I think we'd be miserable trying to make it happen. But when Christ comes and gives us a body change, then it'll be perfect. I will never be perfect. You will never be perfect. And then he says this, I will never be perfect in your sight. You will never be perfect in my sight. But let's lay that aside. What about in God's sight? Oh my, I look at you as a human. I look at you as a brother, but God looks at you through the blood of his son as a redeemed one. The second part of my thought I want to bring, and we'll follow it up, is this. If God is in us, and God has such an attitude of love to us, and God is in us, then that same attitude carries through towards every single one of members of anyone, because God's attitude is the same, and it won't change when it enters our body to our brother and sister. I look at you as a brother, but God looks at you through the blood of his son as a redeemed one. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Not what you've done. You have nothing to merit it. But it's what Christ did for you. It's what Christ did for you and for me. It's what Christ did for the person next to you. It's what Christ did for us personally. Oh, did you see it? For by if these offerings would have continued, why we would not have needed any more sacrifice, but the perfect but the worshiper once perched, I'm going to drop down, but the life that came from the blood cell of the Son of God was none other than God himself, who had come down and was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the great Jehovah. There it was human, not human life, but it was God's life. The Bible said that we are saved by the blood of God. There was no other male but God and God's spirit. It couldn't have been actually sexual. It had to come supernatural. That's why church today believes in the supernatural. And a man that's ever confessed his sins standing, laying his hands on the dying lamb Christ and looked to Calvary can never be the same no more. That's right. For by one sacrifice, by one sacrifice, and let it, lay out this principle. I, I feel like I've jumped in too quick, but lay out this principle. By one sacrifice that he did on the cross in Calvary, he perfected you and me forever, them that are sanctified. By one sacrifice, perfect forever. What a principle, what a thought, what a consolation that we have to say that I'm perfect through the blood of Christ. God's attitude, God's look towards me is one of perfection. God is one that he looks at us through love, through the blood, and he sees a sinless bride. Virtuous, you never did it in the per first place. He says, see it, sinner, look at it. Don't try to get better. You couldn't get any better. You can't get any better. Just come the way you are. No matter what you do, you could never merit nothing. The only thing that you can do is believe on him that justifies the ungodly. When you do that, you're saved. Oh, what a change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came down into my heart. It stoops to the lowest, to the prostitute. It goes to the drunkard, to the gambler, to the millionaire, to the aristocrat, to the church member, whosoever will, let him come and drink from the fountain of water of life freely in the breach. Now, when a man has been redeemed, he don't care anymore for scholarship. He don't care anymore for the things of the world, the wisdom of the world. He don't want no choice at all. Christ has been his choice, and that's all of it. He is redeemed. He just wants no more to lead himself he don't want anyone to talk him into where to go and what to do. He just waits out and finds the choice of his maker. 
See, then he goes in the name of his maker when the maker tells him to go. We know that in the Old Testament, they were there and they would sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs. And there was, a, there was the feast, there was the, I think, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, and a, one goat was sent one way into the wilderness and another co- goat was slain. And the sins of the people were confessed. The high priest went in and, and was accepted and then went out and went back in again for the sins of the people. There was all of these rituals that were put forth for the sins of the people. There was things that were laid out as a, as a principle, and God hated sin. I don't believe God hates the sinner. God hates sin. God loves the sinner, but God hates the sin that would happen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he, he should, who should believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we would see a, a principle that would be laid out, and that was that God hates sin, and sin will be punished and judged. And we also see a principle that would even be laid out that even the sins that of the forefathers would begin to carry on to the third and fourth generation. God would even hold iniquity and it would say, I'll, I'll see that iniquity and it would go forth the third and fourth generation. We'd even see a, a, a bastard child born and they couldn't come into the congregation for so many generations. But God did not desire to leave that there. God did not desire to leave sin just in a spot where it could not be overcome or you'd have something hanging over your head because of what your dad did or your granddad did or your great, 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 great granddad that you can't even remember did because he was born out of wedlock or something like that. God didn't desire to leave us in that spot. God didn't desire to leave us just under the blood of bulls and goats or under a place. I think often we can live in a way where we feel like we have to Rekill a sacrifice, even though it's long forgiven and long forgotten. Sometimes we live in a place where we've, we don't maybe realize how strong the blood of Jesus Christ truly is for our lives. That is not just a blood of bulls and goats, but it annihilates. Brother Branham would often use the word, it doesn't just cover sin anymore, it divorces sin. It's like you've never done it in the first place. Oh, if we could catch a picture of justification. It's gone. It's not just something that God remembers, but he forgives you for it, and he doesn't think about it. It's actually gone. That's what God desires for us. God desires to catch a picture of that. A Psalm of David, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's amazing to me when you look at the topic of worship, you'll see that the worshiper would bring his sacrifice. So what does worship and sacrifice have to do together? Worshiper would bring his sacrifice to be killed. And what would happen is he would confess his sins, the sacrifice would be killed, he would be free, and that would enter the channel for him to be able to worship. Why? Because he was free. He could enter into worship and praise and all of these things because he was free. His heart did not condemn him anymore. That was the path to enter. God's only provided way of worship was through the blood, was through Christ. And we would, there's different parts we could look at. I hope I've differentiated and said that in the right way. But all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, what are his benefits? A million bucks. No, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, Verse, who healeth all thy diseases. He begins to list the benefits, 
And they're not natural. <laughs> they're something else. Who healeth all thy diseases. I guess diseases can be natural, but they can also be spiritual. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. All the goodness of God. Who, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. None of this is about a million bucks yet. Forget about all his... Forget not his benefits, the spiritual benefits of being a Christian and serving God. He made no, he, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He maketh known all his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. God has an attitude that he has towards us. God has a way and a, and a perspective and a desire and a longing that he has towards his creation. And he's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. He's a God of judgment, but I want to show you that he doesn't take pleasure in judgment. I'll show you that. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. If we got what we deserved, we'd be gone already. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. For as, the high, as high, as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far hath you removed our transgression from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for a man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. The places thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. So the sins could follow maybe, but, but the righteousness can follow as well from children to children to such as keep his command, covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heaven. His kingdom ruleth over all. We'll leave it there. Brother Branham asks the question in the message, that great warrior David. He says, how many Christians here, raise up your hand. And he says, you're not a Christian by your desire. You're a Christian by God's desire. He went looking for you. He went looking for me. We're not a Christian by our own desire. We're a Christian by God's desire. Brother Brandon would preach the message. I think it's the message to the Laodicean church. It's a tent meeting, and it's, it's a wonderful service. It's, it's like a revival service. And, and he would begin to say, he would also begin preaching it very hard, and he would say, sometimes we accept Christ into the doors of our heart and our life, or we enter him into our life, and it's almost like we honored him that we let him in. Oh, God help us. Let us never live in that way where it was like an honor to, to Jesus that we let him in. It's an honor for him to be in our hearts. It's an honor that he knocks on our hearts. He, Brother Brandon would say he only has the obligation to knock once. But how many of us has he knocked so many times? Time after time after time. Because he's looking for you and he's going to get you. If you're predestinated, there's no way that he won't get you. He keeps knocking and knocking patiently at your door. But he only has the obligation to knock once. 
Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, 5 verse 1, we have peace with God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation work patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But here is God's desire. Here's God's. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. What kind of love is it that you would look at someone that is unworthy and a, and, a, and a rascal or a wretch or a filthy something or other and then go die in their place with the hope and, and, and die for thousands of them, millions, billions of them, knowing that only a handful might even accept it? But dying for the world, what kind of love and attitude and desire is that? Oh, it's not human. It's something else. But in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. I want to look at a couple of chapters. Maybe we could open our Bible to the book of Ezekiel. And I promise it's not scary. Sometimes if I hear Ezekiel or Jeremiah, it seems like it could be mysterious and I don't understand it. And there's much of different books I don't understand. But God seems to open it up with time. There seems to be a moment where a book can even seem intimidating and then you get led there and you're like, whoa, I, I get it. I see it. There's something there. And so the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, and, the, and then we'll compare it to chapter 33. And then another place in Jeremiah at the end, Lord willing. And you guys might get there before I do. Ezekiel chapter 18. This is God's attitude towards a sinner and a righteous man. And what you see is God's fairness and equality, not a respecter of persons. And you also see God begin to tear away at that thought that the sins of the fathers were going to always carry down to the third and fourth generation. In these chapters, God begins to, Jeremiah, Ezekiel 18, 33, and then Jeremiah 31, he begins to do away with that and show a new covenant that's coming forth, a new something that's coming forth. The word of the Lord, Ezekiel 18, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye, ye that use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The, father have, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? My dad ate this sour something, and, and now my teeth, I'm gritting my teeth, I'm paying for it now. What my father did, I'm paying for it. And it became a proverb in the land because they knew that the law laid it out. The sins of the fathers would carry on to the children and the children and the children. My grandpa did this and I'm paying for it now. My dad did this, I'm paying for it now. God is asking a question. What do you mean when you say this? What mean you when you use this proverb? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have any occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. A veil begins to be torn. Something begins to open. As I live, saith the Lord, behold, all souls are mine, 
as the soul of the Father, so also shall the soul of the soul, also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul, individual that sinneth, it shall die. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and then he begins to lay out the right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, and hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase, and hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, Dropping down, hath walked in my statutes, verse 9, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just, he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. The man that does right shall live. And then he says, if he, the righteous man, beget a son that's a robber, a shedder of blood, that doeth the like to any one of these things, and doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountain, and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, hath not lifted up his eyes to the, hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth usury. He was a sinner, now lo, and hath taken an increase. Shall he live? The righteous man begets a sinner. Shall the sinner live? He shall not live. He hath done all of these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now, lo, God just lays it out. Now, lo, if that sinner, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins, which he hath done, and considereth and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his, neighbor, his neighbor's wife, hath not oppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment that hath taken off his hand from the poor, that hath not received usury nor increase, hath executed my judgment. You get the point. He didn't do those things. That hath taken off his hand from the poor, verse 17, hath not received usury, hath executed judgment. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his, he, shall, he, shall surely, or he shall die in his iniquity. Yet you say, why? Doth not, and the, the, this is the conversation, the, the believer, the Israelite would go to God and say, why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live, is God's reply. The soul the individual will pay for what he did. And now we can look at it and say, my, 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 well, the soul that sinneth, if I'm my son, that's not the point. This is a beautiful new development in the Old Testament. This is something that is changing the game. This is something that's marking a shift towards the cross. And really, it was truly fulfilled, I would say, in the cross. This is marking the shift towards the positive that had been so negative for so long. The sins of the fathers would carry down. And I'll say today, the sins of the fathers, though the enemy has a right to afflict us with what he's afflicted, our grandpa and our granddad and great grand, he does not have any right to stay. It's broken. Generational curses, the, 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 all of the high places, all of those things, that cycle is broken with the cross of Calvary. It's done. But in this scripture, God begins to lay it out and begins to say, 
the individual that sins, he'll die. And if he has a righteous son, he'll live. And if he has a righteous son, but then, and I'm not going to maybe keep going down and following it, but in, this, in the Bible, he also begins to lay out and say, now if the wicked man that did all these things turns, he'll live. And if the righteous man backslides, he'll die. So when you were in that spot as a wicked man, you didn't have to stay there. And if you're in that spot as a righteous man, don't get too comfortable. You can't live in self-righteousness. You can't stay in, I've done so long for so long. Keep pressing in all the way. We're almost home. Verse 29, yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. They begin to look at this and some of these things. Are not my ways equal, he says? Are not your ways unequal? How would a human do it? By a respecter of persons. We would look at that person and say, ah, they've sinned a bunch, but I kind of like them, so I'll give them a pass. Or we would look at that person and say, well, I just don't like them, even though they're kind of good, and give them a fail. God is not a respecter of persons. He does it righteously, fairly, and equally. And there's a way out, no matter where you stand. If there's breath in your body, there's still hope. Therefore, verse 30, will I judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from your transgressions, transgressions, so your iniquity shall not be your ruin. Verse 32, he says that, verse 31, I'll keep going. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O hosts of Israel? This is God's attitude. Why will you die? It's not, the attitude of God is not this. You're a sinner, I've watched you sin, and I'm looking forward to the day that you've sinned your final sin, and you didn't repent, so I can pour judgment on you. That is not the attitude of God. God is saying, why will you die? Oh, come, buy without money and price, milk and, and honey, the, the, buy that something. It's available. Why will you die? And he says this, Verse 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. That's the attitude of God to the sinner. He has to carry out judgment. He said it, he has to do that. But he takes no pleasure in it. God help us, and neither should we. And neither should we. Ezekiel chapter 33. I hope this is okay. It's a little different, but... Verse 7, or you know what, we'll go to verse 10. Ezekiel 33, verse 10. It's a parallel chapter, and it begins to lay out a similar thing. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, if our trans... O thou son of man, speak Thus ye speak, saying, if our transgression and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, God says... As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's my desire, is that they turn from their way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. 
self-righteousness, your good, it will not deliver you in the day of your transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. As, as, the, as the, you could say, as the top, how, how do I put it? The most experienced Christian and the, and the newest Christian, the day that they sin is the day they both have to make something right. And the worst sinner and the almost Christian sinner, the day that they turn, they're saved. It's that simple. It's that fair. It's that equal. It's a step. There might be things that the worst sinner has to make a few more things right with a few more people, but... When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity to know to do right or to not to do it, all his righteousness shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. And again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge and give again that he hath robbed and walk in the statues of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed, none shall be remembered or mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Yet the people of thy peop- that the children of thy people say the way of the Lord is not equal. I don't see how, how can you look at that and, and say that, but that's our humanity. But as for them, their way is not equal, he says. When the righteous turn from their righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. God takes no pleasure in executing judgment. There, God, God desires to see the salvation of the world, of the people, of, of, of whosoever will that would come and accept it. I'm going to kind of turn a corner and maybe, or keep going down the path, but Brother Branham says in The Mighty Conqueror, there has never been nothing conquer like our Lord Jesus Christ. What this world needs is some reality. What this world needs tonight is something that means something. What the world's looking to see in you as Christians is something that's genuine. They're so tired of seeing church played. They're so tired of being fed up. I'm Pentecostal, I'm Methodist, I'm Catholic, I'm this part of the message, I'm that part of the message, I see this, I see that, I see that, and drawing lines and division, this is me adding in. That isn't what the world is hungering for. They're hungering for the true bread of life. Something that's been striking me, and I guess I've been kind of saying it throughout, but God has such a desire to his people. He looked at the sinner on the cross. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He looked at the people around that had beaten him and done all these things and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The attitude of God. He he loved us when we were unlovable, while we were yet sinners. God's attitude towards us is something amazing. And God's attitude towards the sinner in general is something amazing. God's not a destroyer by nature. He's a savior. God will execute judgment, but that's not where he takes pleasure in it. That's not his desire. That's not his, something that he wants to do. Satan is the destroyer. God is the savior. God doesn't wound us. God's the healer. God allows things to happen to shape us and mold us for good, but God is not there for our destruction. Satan is only there for either short 
medium or fast destruction. That's all Satan is about. One way or another, he wants us to die. Slowly, quickly, long-term, short-term, whatever. So if Christ is in us, that same attitude, and God's pointed out something in my own life to say, John, your attitude wasn't right. That same attitude that Christ has towards us is the same attitude we need towards one another. It's the same attitude we ought to carry if we go to a soup stand and mission field. Brother, Brother Harold would make the statement, I think he would say in the mission field, you can't help them if you think you're better than them. That works on the street. That works with our brothers and sisters. That works across the board with our coworkers. And that works overseas in the mission field. We need to be, brother, and I'm kind of just perfect strength by perfect weakness. We need to stay in the dust, in the road to Damascus. And I think Brother Branham would say, if you ever get above that, you get above God. Because God was one of humility, of condescension, of something that would come down. There's a scripture in the Psalms that would say, his gentleness has made us great. And that word gentleness, one of the ways to, 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 to translate it was condescension. His condescension has made us great. But we can't be great of ourselves. We have to say descended. We have to stay humble and knowing we're worthless and nothing. And we're, we're not that we're saved and we're sealed. I don't want to say it in the wrong way, but we're one transgression away from being in the category of a problem. And then we have to make right and we keep going forward. We're not going to be lost. But we're one sin away. We're one mistake away from having our own thing to fix, our own place to make right, just like the person next to us, just like the person out there. First John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now it already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not of us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then he begins to go into this beautiful section. Beloved, or one of the maybe beautiful sections of 1 John and the Johns, maybe I'm biased, but <laughs> beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He literally, God literally is love. So if that's not what we express, there's something that we're missing. There's something, and sometimes we're, we've got God in us, but we get something a little bit off track, or we get a little bit of extra something that's trying to defer us down the wrong path. He that loveth not is, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. This is how God showed his love to us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has that attitude towards us, we ought to have that attitude towards everyone. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 
No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because that he hath given us of his spirit. And, and he would go on and begin to say, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Brother Branham would lay out the stature of a perfect man, and this is what we have to achieve to and get to. And the last, actually, I, I've, I've thought a little bit about brotherly kindness, and I thought it's an interesting one, but right before brotherly kindness is godliness. And, and Brother Branham would say in the message, he, looked, he tried to look in a few different dictionaries. I have the quote here. And he, it's, it's an interesting one. What is godliness? And, and, and he says, fifthly, add godliness. Godliness to be added. What does godliness mean? He says, I looked in four or five dictionaries. I couldn't even find what it meant. Finally, I looked down at Brother Jeffries here, and we found it in a dictionary. Godliness means to be like God. My well, what does that mean? Oh my, after you've got faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, then be like God, he says. Whew, he says. You say, I-, I can't do that. He says, oh yes, you can. Let me just read you a few scriptures here. We'll take this one and see what it sounds like. Matthew five forty-eight, And see if you're supposed to be like gods. You know the Bible says, ye are gods? Jesus said so. Why? All the virtue, all the things that's in God is in you. Matthew 5.48, be therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. God wouldn't make you do that unless you provided a way to do that. We know that. Now you got all the way up here before you're asked to do that. Faith, virtue, knowledge, all these things. Before you're asked to do godliness, to meet that standard, there was all these things to get to. All of these things has to be added first. Then when you get up there, he's asked you now to be perfect. Godliness. Sons and daughters of God. And he would talk about the preaching of the word, pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints. It helps us bring to that place of godliness. He would say, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. And then he would say, perfect takes godliness. And he keeps working on that. And then he says, what what does it still mean? What does it mean, godliness? And then he begins to talk about this song, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus On earth I long to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, I only ask to be like him. That's godliness. When he was smite on one side of the face, he turned the other. When he was spoken rough to, he didn't speak. He didn't rile back. Godly, always looking for one thing. I always do that which pleases the Father. That's godliness. I was listening to Brother Tim Dodd take some, I was catching up, I guess, on the services over Easter a long time ago. I was, I was away, and I, and I haven't caught up fully yet, but Brother Tim began to preach on character, and character being the ability to make the right choice or right decision, and the process of character development. You have a man like Joseph stuck in a prison for years and years, slowly being trained through suffering. We all go through this. Sometimes we feel like we're stuck in a prison for a period of time. Going through training, preparing us one day to rule. Sometimes there's a place on earth for us, and there will be a place for sure in heaven for us to reign and rule. You have Jesus on the cross. Brother Tim said he was having a bad day. That's an understatement of anything. But, ha- but laying it this way, having a bad day, beaten, bloodied, broken, carrying the sins of the world, feeling awful, people reviling him, and a thief on the cross, 
saying, Father, can you, would you remember me? Is there a chance for me? And under all that, he could have said, I'm having a bad day. Just leave me alone. Could have. But he looked and he made the right call under all of the pressure of everything. And he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise, showing the love and attitude of God in the middle of whatever he was going through. He showed forth what was right, the character of God. Oh my. That's godliness. When he was smite on one side of the face, he turned the other. When he was spoken rough to, he didn't speak. He didn't rile back. After you've done come through here to here to here, building up the pyramid, now you're coming up into the full stature of a son of God, but you've got to have this plus all this. Now remember the blackbird with peacock feathers, he says. Don't you forget him. Don't try to add until you're actually born again. Don't try to do all these things. How can I live in a place where I'd agree with my brother when he's disagreeable? You can't. It'll take a new spirit, take the Holy Spirit. It takes Christ to live this. Not our own way of trying to push ourselves into loving our brother in the way that it takes God. It, ta- it sure takes God. We know we live with each other. It takes God. It's true. Now, when you get here, a genuine born-again dove, then you don't add nothing. It adds to you. Oh, that's beautiful. You see, it comes on right, all right, coming into perfection. Then what happens after godliness? To turn the other cheek. To, then you add brotherly kindness. Then you add the capstone. Those last three, I would say a lot of those come from a heart, an intent, and an emotive to be like God. Seeing something, it's the top, it's kind of coming down to the capping, it's building up. It's that part, that inward part, that something that we take on, that godliness, that brotherly kindness, that love. We know that Ephesians says that no man... Husbands, love your wives, all those things. And no man hath hated his flesh at any time. We're the body of Jesus Christ. No man hated his own flesh, therefore a man ought to love his wife. But the body, no man has hated his own flesh at any time. We are, she is him. And if he's the head, we're the body. And if we're all the body, no man has hated his flesh at any time. I think Brother Brandon would say, elect won't persecute elect. It won't happen. Brother Branham lays some quotes out, some interesting ones that are, they're hard to live. I, I can't even fully wrap my mind intellectually on how to do this. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's the word and we're going to live it. <laughs> church order. How many's listened to church order? If you can't disagree with a man and things and then shake his hand and still have the same feelings towards him, then there's something wrong with you. I, 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 I can't even claim to know other than when God comes and does it in me. How can you disagree with someone and love them anyway from here? But when God comes, you, ca- you try to go pray and then condemn your brother before God. You enter into a realm of prayer and supplication before God, seeing the greatness of God, of Jehovah, of what he's done for, for you and for me, and then go condemn the brother that you've been looking at? You can't. Because God loves him and has the same attitude towards him as he has towards you. Amen. He says, if you can't disagree with a man and things and then shake his hand and still have the same feeling towards him, there's something wrong with you. If I can't disagree with a man, and then he qualifies it, bitterly, from one side to the other, and still think as much as him as Christ would, oh my, 
still think as much of him as Christ would think of him, then there's something wrong with my spirit. I haven't the spirit of Christ. I don't think he's saying, I don't, I'm not born again, or, but there's something that's departed. That little dove has flown away and something else has come in and there's something to fix and make right. God helped me. God's dealt with me. God helped me. I hope I'm not saying it in a, but all right, brother, let's come together to reason, you and I. We'll take ourselves over. We'll go into the little room ourselves. We'll reason it out. And, and in this meeting, he says, he cuts me to pieces, and I have things to say back to him. Disagreement isn't wrong. It's the spirit behind it. You will never agree with everyone on everything. We'll learn that pretty quick, or we'll learn it the hard way. You won't disagree. You, their disagreement isn't the problem. It's the attitude. It's, it's what happens after. It's how you talk about it after. It's the feeling that you harbor with it. We ought to be able to disagree bitterly with our brother and love him the same way God loved him. That's what Brother Branham is saying. The disagreement wasn't the problem. It was the attitude that we have towards it. He cuts me to pieces. I have things to say back to him. If in my heart I can't feel the same about him, that he's still my brother, and I'm trying to help him. That's the motive in disagreement, trying to help him. Trying to, there's, there's, there's a, not just a, oh, he's going, uh, trying to help him. Then I'll never help him. There's no way for me to help him. If I don't love him, then what's the use of me going over there? Brother Branham advises this. He says, tell him the first place, brother. He says, basically, he says, if you're in that spot, tell him the first place, brother, I don't love you. And let me get that out of the, my heart right here before we go in there because I can't help you until I love you. Talk about honesty. Wow. But you know, we might appreciate our brother if he said, you know what? I don't love you right now. Give me five minutes. I believe God can change that. And then we'll have a meeting. You talk about that kind of honesty. That's exposing the devil right there. That thing could be gone. There's something that freedom that it says, confess your faults one to another. Pray with one another. God would come. How can I bitterly disagree and have the right attitude? We can't, but Christ can. Christ can. So often, the root cause of any conflict, I used to think psychology will say it's miscommunication that causes conflict, right? You need to communicate better. And you, there's an element to that. That's something. But the root cause of all conflict, what is the root cause? Well, it happened in heaven. I will ascend. Pride. The root cause of any conflict and any lingering conflict is pride in one of the parties or both. It has to be. That's the principle that's laid out. Yes, it can be miscommunication. Yes, it can be this. Yes. But the reason it lingers then is pride. There's something you don't want to let go of. You're too proud to go and say, I'm sorry, or, or say, you know what? You actually, you hurt me. Like sometimes it's wisdom to maybe say, you hurt me. Maybe they don't even realize it. And you've been harboring it for so long. If I've hurt you, come tell me. We want to be right. We want to be pure. Amen. You heard the story. Brother Bradham's saying, wisdom versus faith. You heard the story about the old sister that went to church, wouldn't say nothing bad about anybody. Said, what do you think about the devil? They thought they could get her. They, maybe she's sitting on the, the bench out there, an older sister. and uh, You know, she just wouldn't say nothing bad about nobody. Well, what do you think about the devil? Well, he sure is a good adversary. Well, there, there's a positive confession about everything. So that, and Brother Bram says, so that's, that's what he is. He's a good adversary. I've thought of this. So often we, look, we can look at our brothers and sisters, oh, that person sinned, or we can think that sort of thought. But 
I would say this, that so often we hold our brother and sister to a higher standard than we hold our favorite biblical heroes. What level of mercy do you give David? Or Abraham? Or Joseph? He had a little scratch. Peter for opening his mouth. We just blot over. We preach about the beautiful thing of God's repentance. And we, we talk about how that type of Abraham and Sarah and how he lied and how this. And, but what if your brother did that? What if your brother was like David? What if all of these things, we hold the standards differently sometimes. We see the big picture in the Bible. We see hindsight is twenty twenty. We see the types. We see the shadows. Oh, they were seed in the end. And we question our brother and sister. We have all of these things. We're human. But let's not forget You don't know that that person next to you in the second book of Acts, because we're writing a second book of Acts, isn't another Peter who has a big mouth, but man, does he love God, and he's going to be there. Sorry if I shouldn't say it like that, but I'm just, hopefully it's human a little bit. We don't know the ones that are next to us, who and what they're fulfilling in this second book of Acts. It's a day, a second book of Acts, I have the scripture, Paul and Barnabas. We know they were together for, I think, quite a while. And then after Acts 15, from what I saw, they were never together again because they couldn't agree on something. It was a church order-related thing. They went out, and Paul comes up to Barnabas, and he says, I think we should go through all the different cities that we've been looking at to see how they do. And Barnabas says, sure, I want to take John Mark. And Paul says, I don't think we should take John Mark because last time we were in this one area, he abandoned us and went to Jerusalem. That's the story. If you look it up in the Bible, Acts 13 and 15. I don't think we should take him. And Barnabas says, well, I think we should take him. But Paul says, I think we should take Silas. And Barnabas says, we should take John Mark. And they had such a strong contention that they went in two different directions. And I I wouldn't say that. I I would say that I think God probably allowed it because they could split up and be more effective apart. There's probably something that God needed over there and God needed over there. God allows these things to happen. But this happens. It's real. The book of Acts is alive again today. So when one goes one way and one goes the other way, don't de-Christianize. One was Paul and one was Barnabas. One was following God and one was following, and they were both standing in their convictions of something, I'll say this, that wasn't even word, it wasn't right or wrong on the word, it was their conviction about the right way to do X and Y. In the words of Brother Ed, there's a story, but I won't go into the story, but one time we were having a discussion and we asked Brother Ed and Brother Ed said, oh, that's a so what doctrine. It doesn't matter who this and what that. Some of the things that get so much contention and so, it's not based on right or wrong. It's an opinion. It's a a feeling. It's a tradition sometimes. It's something that we hold to. But what about truth of the salvation of the gospel? What about the things, the pillars that we ought to hold to, to know that, it, Paul would even say, if they preach the, some preach the gospel for this, some people for good, for bad, some people for contention, some people so that I'll be hurt more, Paul says. Some people for my own hurt, they preach the gospel. And he says, no matter what, if they preach for contention or this or that, Christ is preached and I glorify in it. Who cares? Brother Branham, I, there was one message I was listening I've listened to a few things in the last few days, but there was one message I think he would even say, even the worst hypocrite preaching the truth, God would honor the truth. It's the truth. We don't condone hypocrisy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the truth is the point that we ought to hold to. The things of the church, the, the, the doctrines that we stand on, the message of the hour. One day, one beautiful day, we're going to stand at a marriage supper of the Lamb, and it'll be one great big table. And all of the different faction of this and the different that and the different views of this and that. 
Everyone will be at one table and we'll all be together and all brotherly kindness and love will go. But one day, there's a place of unity today that we can reach, that we can achieve. That quote from, from the greatest battle ever fought, if we could get together in one mind and one cord and get that one thing fixed in five minutes, what God could do there where they were on the day of Pentecost for 10 days straight together, slowly getting things worked out and ironed out, and, and then God came. Changed the whole picture. And 3,000 souls that next day were birthed. I'm sure they went to bed that night saying, what in the world just happened? They were there for 10 days. They were scared. The Holy Ghost, they were together in unity. The Holy Ghost comes with tongues of fire. They go out with boldness, speaking other tongues. They probably didn't even realize they were doing it until someone they, that looked strange to them was understanding what they were saying, preaching the gospel. Peter preaches a message. That guy that they didn't even know for sure, like, man, he's got, he's got some problems. He's outspoken. He's all these things. He goes out and preaches a fiery sermon. 3,000 souls are saved. And I'm sure they went to bed that night saying, this gospel is real, more real than I thought. That same life that was in that man that we followed, that I, I'm pretty sure he's God. They, you know, they're wrapping their minds around all these things. Suddenly he's in me, and what I'm doing is being multiplied. God help us to live that second book of Acts. God help us to live in that way that all things are common, and we're in a place of unity together. Brother Branham says in Hebrews chapter 2, is this still okay for a couple more minutes? If you witness anything, he says, you're, you're just as guilty as being a partaker of it. He says, so if we witness, say, oh, and then someone is saying, oh, they oughtn't have done this, this so-and-so, be careful what you say because you're guilty the way your judgment goes. He says, if you can't decide, don't say anything, just leave it alone. Don't say nothing, just leave it alone. Something, someone has an opinion. If you can't decide, if you're not sure, don't just go along with it. He says, you're guilty of where your confession goes. Let's look to the positive. Let's look to, and it's not that everything is always positive. Sometimes sin is sin in black and black and white. But then what's the attitude we have? If we've said, okay, this is wrong, but may God save their soul. But may God go after them. Not this attitude. We can get this attitude where we see the wrong, and then we're like looking for the vindication of the day that it all paid off and it was ultimately wrong. Everyone saw it was wrong and I called it and it was wrong and they go to hell or something. I'm being blunt. That's, the, that's not the attitude of God. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the soul, of the sinner. I take no pleasure in that. So we ought to never take pleasure in that. To see even our worst enemy. Brother Branham went to that place. He says you could bore wires through your body and all of these things. And he says, I believe he said, I wouldn't worship on my worst enemy. It doesn't matter. Oh, God. May God help me. May God forgive me where I've gotten that wrong. We don't want these things. We want to be cleansed. Create in me a clean heart, oh, God. Renew a right spirit within me. How do we, um, how do we get to that place? Brother Branham said, did you ever see a drunk man? He's just so in love with everybody. He don't care. That's the way a man is when he gets drunk with the Spirit. The Bible said, be not drunk on strong drink with excess, but to be drunk on the Spirit. The Spirit of God makes you so drunk, you forget all your enemies. 
Everything, everybody's in love with you. He don't care who's standing around you. You're the biggest man in the country right there. When we can get so full of God, when we can live a life, a daily life of prayer, living in the word. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and the devil kind of messes up with our morning. We didn't pray like we ought to. We didn't, we knew we should have gotten up a little early. I did this the other morning, a little bit ago. I knew I was supposed to get up earlier and I didn't. And then you're just not yourself. You just not, the gears aren't turning the right way. What happens the day we finally just get up and we just do what we're supposed to do and we put it in motion and we have an overcoming power and thrust that goes forward? It's a different day. It's a different day. I'll slowly begin to wind down. Brother Brandon would say, we are Christians, born again in the same family, a bunch of pilgrims. And he makes this amazing statement. We'll never see eye to eye until we see him face to face. So we should stop trying to get everyone to see our way. We ought to live in a way, and God help me, maybe I don't know how to bring this out, but, or maybe it's coming fresh, I don't know. Or God help us to live in a way that is almost like a child. Because unless we're like a child, we won't see the kingdom of heaven. But that childlike way of, this is what I see, but never put a period on it. Someone else sees something else, that's what they see. Sometimes they're wrong, and sometimes you know it. But to have the right attitude about it. Other times where you're not sure, that sounds strange or different, or, or I just disagree, and I see it this way, and you see it that way. We're in this camp, and you're in that camp. But not put a period on it. But a child like faith walks on with grace and innocence and something that would allow that person to be a Christian and I'm a Christian and they're a Christian. And you know, Israel had 12 different tribes. They probably did things all a little differently. There was different areas of the land. There was this, there was that. But we serve the same God and I see that person's filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother Brandon would talk about that even back in that day and in that time. It, it was, there was a certain time where it could be, but he would talk about the Godhead, the Trinitarians and the oneness. He'd bring them together and he'd say, well, do you believe he's got the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah. Well, do you believe he's got the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah. Well, then, what, why, why is there such a sharp contention? And the answer is in the middle. And that's often the case for every contention. Sometimes the answer is right in the balance, in the middle. We will never see eye to eye until we see him face to face and be changed and made like unto his own glorious body. We need a breaking down, a cleaning up, a house cleaning, a real revival to start when the gifts and powers and manifestations of the Holy Spirit can come into the church showing great signs and wonders. How can God do it upon a divided group? We can't do it. God loves his people. We must all come together. Great mass meetings and forget being Baptist, Presbyterians, so forth. He knocks at the door of every mortal. That's his duty. That's what we're here for. No one gets passed by. All of them is invited, crippled, lame, halt, blind. You all sat in Dallas tonight, he says. Everyone here. That's what these meetings are for, that. That's the idea of these ministers sitting in the platform. That's my purpose of being here, is to try to tell you that Christ loves his people. We must get together for the moving of the Holy Spirit and the rapture of the church. Listen here, men and women. As I hope this is still okay, but listen here, men and women, now my friends and children and Christian friends. If the only thing that you know about is simply coming to church, you stop doing that right now. 
Stop thinking, just thinking that you're all right. If you've got an imaginary, well, I believe I am saved, and you see that you're always picking fusses and always griping about something, and there's something wrong with you, and you just see that you can't keep the enmity out of your heart. Oh, God, help us all. This goes from every part of everything. God, help me, where you, you see something. And you, you, if there's something like that, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. That's right. Whatsoever man soweth, so shall he reap. The righteous will reap righteous, and the sinner will reap sinner. You say, well, I believe I've got the Holy Ghost, and you don't see it bear fruits of meekness and yielded and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and so forth. It's time to shake that out of you. He would talk about even how when my pa- he would talk about how someone would to have the right spirit, and then when my pastor sees something wrong in me, he walks around and says, well, now, brother or sister, you ought not to do these things and make me humble. Say, yes, my brother, you help me now to pray. I don't want that kind of spirit on me. Brother Ed preaches a service on a Sunday morning that might be cutting. We don't say, oh, well, no, we say, yes, my brother. I don't want to be that way. I don't want that. You don't want that kind of spirit. And Brother Brown says, you don't want to go around with a puffed up saying, well, he had no business telling me. I know where I'm standing. Oh, when you do that, friends, you can see right then you're out of the will of God. You can see you're wrong to begin with. Why not be humble and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit? Say, yes, I'm going to lock arms with the whole church of the living God. I'm going to move on. If I see something wrong in my sister, I'm going to pray for her. I see something wrong in my brother, I'm going, if he continues on, and then he begins to lay out the steps of bringing a brother and then I think a few witnesses and that sort of thing. By this, John 13, verse 35, by this, Shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another? Love one to another. I could look at Jeremiah 31, and, and maybe I will. Maybe the musicians could start to come, but it's just a long chapter. I'm not sure where I'd start or stop in it, but he begins to lay out kind of another element to... Ezekiel 18 and, verse, and, and chapter 33. Maybe we'll just turn to it quickly. Jeremiah 31. We'll read, some, read a few verses from it and we'll close. This is a couple chapters after 29 where he'd say, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. Israel going into Babylonian captivity. But there was something still promised for them. The judgment would only last so long. They'd pay for their sins, but God didn't desire to leave them there. In Jeremiah 31, you could play something softly. Jeremiah 31, he would say, At the same time, saith the Lord, Will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Can we see the attitude, the desire of God? Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again I will build thee, and thou shalt be built. O virgin of Israel, thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, shall go forth with the dances of them that make merry. 
Thou shalt plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, let us go up to Zion. Unto the Lord our God. If I drop down to verse 13, Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning unto joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. I love this word. I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness. I'll saturate it. I'll, it'll just be so full. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard. This is such a striking verses. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rael weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not, they were gone. But what does God follow it up with? He says, Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping, thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Her children, the one that was weeping, they shall come again from the land of the enemy, and there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. And he began, to, he began to go on. In verse 29, he, he says, In those days shall they say that, shall they no more say, The fathers have eaten a sour grape. Children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant of their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out. But there's another covenant I will make. Verse 33, the covenant that I make with them. Shall, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon, and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And he begins to go on. God loves us. There's a mercy that's been set forth, a new covenant that's come now and today, and we know it. We're reminded of things that we already know. But to see the desire of God towards us, to see the desire that God wants to project through us. Oh, God, help us to live in that way that we'd take no pleasure in the death of a soul, but we would sigh and cry for the abominations done in the city. We would look and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We'd look for every opportunity to allow someone to give us a glass of water or allow someone to bless us so that they can receive a blessing one day. We live in such a salty way that would present life wherever we'd go. There was a story, it was brother, um, brother from, from Alaska, he would tell a story, and he said, I don't even know, it might be a message myth, he said. I don't even know if it was for sure, I never heard it on tape, I don't know, but I heard the story of Brother Branham, so I'll clarify. Brother Branham and Billy Paul going through the neighborhood, and they, they turned in at a, a sinner man's house that was maybe some doors down from Brother Branham. They just, he knocked on the door, and what, what do you want? He says, well, can, I, can I have a cup of water? Okay, sure. And Brother Branham, Brother Billy Paul said to him, 
after, Dad, why, why would you ask him for a glass of water? We're a few doors down from home type thing. He says, I don't know if that wouldn't be his opportunity. I want to give him an opportunity. Oh, my. That desire, that something, may it burn in us. May it live in us. May it live in us. What are you playing? God's power is alive. What about the truth? What about the life? God's power is alive. What about the message? Oh, is it still alive? Think upon the good things that He's done in your life. It's not just some story. God's power is alive. We'll try a first verse. People say that our God's dead. He has no power or mind. They deny that he's living. Think this faith is a lie. Oh, we can't help but they say this. For they do not understand They wonder and reason Say this Jesus was just a man oh, But what about the truth? What about the life? What about the message? still alive think upon the goodness that he's done in your life this is not just some story God's power is alive many people are leaving in this day Oh, there's leading to reason And the world's filthy ways Oh, but we have a vision There's no power can hold us back Just stay faithful with Jesus Keep you on track. Let's all stand. Oh, what about the truth? Oh, what about the lie? What about this message? Is it still alive? Think upon, think upon the Some soul. 